0: So today we are talking about gospel partnership. And uh, Karen has read to us two great examples of how Paul uh, valued partnership in mission. Uh, we've seen earlier in this global gospel series how fundamental the concepts of community and relationship are to the gospel. And today I hope we'll see that the gospel Cannot be fully or sustainably proclaimed and demonstrated outside of relationship, and how God uses partnerships of people to demonstrate His love to the world. So, we're in week eleven out of twelve weeks of gospel uh, of, of global gospel series, and our subject today is gospel partnerships or mission partnerships. I always pray with joy, said Paul in Philippians, who just had it read to us, because of your partnership in the gospel. So can you use this one if I may? Why should we seek um, mission partnerships? The put this one away, sorry. The church exists by mission. As fire exists by burning, so said Emil Brunner, Swiss theologian, and as a local church, we are intrinsically involved in mission um, it 's the reason the church exists. Jesus said, "All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son." and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And once more, we've said it already this morning, he said, I'm sh- and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So the great commission from Jesus is to go. Go and make disciples at work. Go to your neighbourhood. Go across the town, to the region, to the nation, uh, and to the world their mission partnerships acknowledge that although rooted uh, and in and and committed to a defined locality, the UK partner church, say us in this example, sees itself as gratefully connected members of the global body of Christ, the church, capital C. And for this, we need one another and we value one another as individuals, as communities, and as organisations. As Paul said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. So, scriptures regularly point us towards mission partnerships. They can be expressed in love, in sacrifice, in equality, and they're practised through, for example, prayer, sending of funds, and of sending of personnel. However, over time, and without vision and leadership and determination, any local church can easily sort of implode. In other words, become consumed with its own self-maintenance, the preservation of its doctrines and its buildings and its meetings and its protocols. And when more time and money and energy are spent on these things, rather than going and making disciples... It's as though maintenance has taken over from mission. We become settlers rather than pioneers. And it's not hard for a church's mission strategy to then be reduced to passive or or at best a vaguely positive and all-embracing policy of allowing anyone and everyone to put leaflets on the church notice board without much thought or purpose to occasionally support an event or an initiative which promotes the interests of a national parachurch agency, for example a Christian Aid or Tear Fund. Actions in a way which look awkward or occasional bolt-ons to the edge of the church rather than passions that are birthed from our hearts and the centrality of our vision. And mission, to quote Tim Chester and Steve Timmis if you know this book, Total Church, very easily becomes one activity among others in church life. It sits, as they say, on the agenda alongside a list of other items vying for attention. Um, or it's left to the enthusiasts to get on with it um, at the edge of church life. So but that's why mission partnerships, but who to partner with in mission? Well, in recent months as a church, we've been reviewing what we've called missions partnership strategy. We've historically had very good engagement with several mission agencies, both local and international, with which we've had a measure of relationship. And these include agencies such as Baptist Missionary Society, uh, Baptist Home Mission, Project Ruth in Bucharest, with whom we've had what you could maybe call a pay and pray relationship. In other words, we, pay, we pray for them and contribute towards their funds. And in return, they send us information and an occasional visit. And a number of us here have for many years contributed sacrificially to the work of these and other mission agencies who in turn have done some wonderful work faithfully proclaiming the word and the love of God around the world. But in a rapidly changing world to ensure that we continue to engage with global mission and in a meaningful and Christ-like way with faith and kindness and relevance. This year we've been asking ourselves as a church a series of questions about who we should seek partnership with. Questions such as these. Is there synergy between the agency and the vision of Burlington? Are there significant interest, enthusiasm, goodwill and commitment From church members towards these agencies? Has the agency either employees or board members who are committed members of the church? Do these agencies provide us with good opportunities for practical expression of partnership? Questions like Do these agencies exist to reach out in a Christ centered, holistic, and transformational ministry to the most vulnerable people in society? Do these agencies understand the needs of the church itself in mission? Uh, Do they believe in what partnership will contribute to the church? And are they already actively seeking church partnership arrangements? And would these agencies play a part in stretching us as a church outside our cultural Burlington comfort zones? So we've not only asked why and who we should partnership With, but also a series of questions as to how good mission partnership works. And if we look in the early church, um, there's all sorts of things we could look at. In fact, the scripture that I should have hung this on, in that we were talking from Acts, a series of Acts, is Acts 18. These were practical business partnerships, such as Paul, tent making, in Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla, Um, I'm avoiding this morning the temptation to dig into this fascinating subject um, as it could be a teaching series in itself. There's a whole lot going on around the world in terms of business as mission, if you've heard that expression at all. Instead, we're going to look at the scriptures that we've had read to us. So in Philippians 1, Paul talks with thankfulness and joy for the mission partnerships that he had with local church. And he highlighted here some of the key points about how mission partnership can work. For example, and it's great, he starts with prayer. Um, If I read maybe just what we've read, Philippians 1, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers and for all of you, I always pray with joy. great thanksgiving and joy. And what's fascinating about this is that usually we think of the frontline missionary as the one who is being prayed for, but here we have Paul praying for the church there 's a real partnership going on. There is a reciprocity going on, if you like that word and uh, then it goes on a little bit more uh, in a sense, verses five and six of Philippians one talking about uh, like a commitment a long termism, a sustainability um, about uh, about this relationship. He talks about um, your partnership from the first day until now going on to the day of Jesus Christ and uh, it's not a fad in other words it's not a se- there's, but there's a sense of long term commitment uh, to one another being talked about here and then in verses 7 and 8 we see that this is a genuine loving relationship comment there about heart and grace and affection there is no doubting Uh, that this was more than a contract or an administrative uh, convenient partnership. And we see it with Paul elsewhere, for example, in uh, Corinthians, where he says, uh, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. I love that scripture. We all need to know that our names are written on someone else's heart. And then... He goes on, um, Philippians 1, to talk uh, about a maturing understanding of mission. In other words, this wasn't some sort of purposeless friendship meandering along and called partnership. Here Paul talks about significant growth in love, in knowledge, in insight and in discernment producing fruit that gives glory and praise to our God. So just a few hints there of what what partnership could mean Um, across uh, from from local church to, uh, let's say, frontline missionaries in this case. We see it again. For example, there's no comment there particularly about finances or money-changing hands, Um, but it's quite a key aspect of partnership in in the New Testament, uh, the same. And that's why Karen read to us 2 Corinthians 8, uh, where Paul talked Uh, and taught about partnership in resources. The context of this was that there was a famine in Judea prophesied by Agabus um, in Acts chapter 11. Paul helped to administer the gift from Macedonia, talked about Romans 15. Um, He then sent Titus to do the same in Corinth uh, and was now commenting on this process in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And the goal, the stated goal... Uh, being equality. He says in verse, uh, we didn't read it, but verses 13 to 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, uh, but our desire is that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. He says it twice. And so the lessons learned from here If we were to do more of an in-depth Bible study on 2 Corinthians 8, we would see these. For example, verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, um, the Macedonian churches, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Great to put grace, joy, poverty and generosity all in the same sentence. We see also that there was an urgency about the Macedonian church they didn't just, well, all right, suppose we better sort of put our hands in our pockets. They were active about it. They were urgent. In fact, they pleaded with Paul, despite their poverty, to be involved um, in raising funds um, for God's people elsewhere. They urgently pleaded, verse 4, with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. There was a sincerity of love rather than obligation, And there was also, very interestingly, a very robust sense of accountability, of order and of strategy about this, which was why um, Paul sent Titus to administer this gift. For example, verses 20-21 of 2 Corinthians 8, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of others. A couple of weeks ago, I met a church that seemed to me to have that same spirit of grace, poverty, and urgent generosity. Uh, it was November the 1st. I was driving through southern Belarus. Incidentally, I'm thinking of it today, a country that lost 2.5 million people during the Great Patriotic or Second World War. One-third of the nation died. Um, and so, you know, that you, you cannot go through that nation without being aware of what happened uh, so many years ago. And uh, it took even until the 1970s before their population reached its pre-war numbers. Extraordinary. And we were driving through uh, southern Belarus and my colleague said to me, he'd like me to meet someone in a town called Belarus. As a town, it's grim, it's gray, built 50 years ago around the cement factory. But here we met Alexander, pastor of a church called Holy Trinity. 180 people attend this church, 120 children, about the same size as ours, and Pastor Alexander just loves his town. We looked around the church building. Large, new, dominant town centre building. Funded and built, by the way, by its own congregation carefully laid out, constructed with gardens and a baptism pool, the most beautiful park in town and therefore where married couples come to have their wedding photos taken. wasn't the plan, but that's the outcome. Pastor Alexander has five sons and one young daughter. His big life crisis was when his second son was born with cerebral palsy. He said he almost gave up pastoring, but God stirred his heart, so instead he got all the parents of invalid children across the town together in the church center you must understand these children are really normally invisible as due to the shame of the parents they say at home all the time and he said we shared each other's pain we wept together we laughed together and I told them about the hope that I had in Jesus and then he took us to an old school that they recently bought in a beautiful biosphere region next to a river amazingly it's only about five kilometers from the town. It's not yet renovated, but this year alone, they had something like 500 children camping there. On the same site, they have plans for a possible babushka home and drug and alcohol rehab unit. but they weren't pushy about these things. All in God's time, he said one thing at a time. They let anyone from the town use their facilities. The camp and uh, it, it was used about this year by about 30 percent Christian and 70 percent non-Christian groups. And they have football teams and they hold celebration camps and meals for all the marginalised and rejected groups locally. They distribute OCC shoeboxes and they even renovate apartments for vulnerable people. Unusually for Belarus, they have good local authority relationship. Our good works shut our opponent's mouths, said the pastor with a twinkle in his eye. And back in the pastor's office, he told us, Micah chapter 6, he said, "That's, that's our vision. Uh, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. And then they presented us, just because we were passing by, with an amazing five-course dinner. And every course was beautifully presented. And I wrote in my notes from that trip, this church, whilst poor itself, seems to do everything well, with joy, lavishly, with loads of mercy being given to the local poor. And they comfortably cross the manufactured divides between proclamation and demonstration, between evangelism and social action, between church and community. And I have a feeling that if there was a famine in Judea right now, this church would be fighting it out with the Macedonians as to who could give the most. Paul said again, 2 Corinthians 8, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Finally on that story, Pastor Alexander specifically asked me to greet my church in Ipswich. So greetings from Pastor Alexander, Holy Trinity, Belarus. So back to ourselves as a church. In order to help church members fully catch up with the vision for what mission partnerships could look like in practice, um, we recently set quality time aside in a church meeting to do like a possibility think exercise um, where ideas were shared and collated, helping to flesh out um, the broad and exciting parameters of potential mission partnerships. And the ideas discussed in the church me- meeting included the following. One about prayer, we said we could, you know, w- where we have living um, mission partnerships, we can use Sunday mornings and home groups and prayer rooms and prayer walks and prayer chains and other opportunities to pray. We can... Through and under the guidance of a leadership team have all sorts of communication processes with Facebook and email and Skype links to keep your home group directly updated with news with partners around the world. Seeking current stories and testimonies help us feel a closer part of their work. Arrange live Skype dialogue like Simon did with Simon a few months ago from Haiti. Um, Burlington Communication Network's Grapevine. Um, bulletins, etc., keeping us informed. We talked under the heading of training, training to mature the church here in its global awareness through Sunday teaching, which obviously we've been doing in this series, home groups and special training seminars. We can receive instruction and understanding on issues that agencies face as they attempt to model good development and discipleship practice. That only, not only involves us, but it educates us as well on the areas of ministries that our partners are committed to, and to be more informed about their successes and their challenges. We looked under the heading of hosting mission events. Maybe we can plan mission-related events, even stirring other local churches to understand other aspects of Christ's Great Commission. These events don't have to just be for believers, but also for our local neighbourhood. In other words, for example, coming together as a neighbourhood to raise funds for an international disaster appeal. And remember, our neighbours very often give the church more credit for its involvement with the poor than they do for its hosting of church services. We could even offer the use of our buildings for administration offices uh, to these agencies, it was suggested. And then we looked at practical involvement with mission. Um, As relationships are built with key mission partners increased opportunity to get involved practically, locally and overseas. Uh, We talked about young people, early retired, all age people, going on short term teams from the church here, going as work groups, prayer groups, encouragement groups, research groups um, to live and work alongside partners, come back envisioned by their work, bringing encouragement and support through going. And we talked under a heading about the extra mile of other things that we could do specialist services maybe, through advocacy, um, helping people with their monitoring, evaluation, planning, strategy, stuff like that. Well, which agencies uh, we continue to partner with is still a matter under review by the trustees in the church meeting, but we can start praying already, can't we, for God to establish healthy mission partnerships into the future according to his perfect plan. And so, may I finish with a testimony? a young pastor, this time from the East Midlands of the UK, who found that engaging in effective mission partnerships actually brought radical and strategic transformation to his own church. Uh, this is what he says. From our young and active church in the small market town where we'd lived for eight years, God spoke with us about planting a church in the larger town just 10 miles to the west. With a handful of new believers, we moved into town. And with a lot of prayer and encouragement from other believers, we advertised our presence on the radio as a new church plant. We hired the biggest hall in town and held worship and healing meetings each night for a week. Many people got healed, many got saved, and so on the very first Sunday we met as a church, 60 people turned up. Our numbers continued to grow week by week, month by month. We quickly became known in the town. Our worship band won prizes on the carnival float for its great music, and our street evangelism clowns and jugglers were well known on the shopping street every Saturday morning as we shared the gospel in a vibrant and colourful way that the town hadn't seen before. Despite being a working-class church in a working-class town, within months we had somehow bought a building just off the town centre to use as our church centre, 200-seater, meeting room, offices, etc., paying for it outright and renovating it. Not everyone liked us. We would also be the subject of criticism from people writing to the local press and others joked about us as that crazy, happy, clappy lot who were a bit freaky and embarrassing. Some of our neighbours tried to avoid eye contact or engage in conversation with us. And then God led us into mission partnerships with churches in Sri Lanka, Romania and Nicaragua. Our hearts became broken by the plight of peoples, nations and churches a lot poorer than our own. Through these church partnerships, we sent doctors and nurses to work in refugee camps in Sri Lanka, we sent project managers to ensure the sustainable development of a medical clinic in Romania, and we raised loads of money and bought land for a farm which enabled livelihoods for the poorest people in Nicaragua. And as we prayed for our overseas friends, and sent people the funds for support of their work, in turn, this led us to see the marginalised people in our own town in a new light, and we opened overnight needle exchange facilities for drug users and a second-hand clothing store for people from the local housing estate. Though we had begun our life as a church with such a burst of energy, noise and colour, seeing the totality of our role in the community as worship, prayer and evangelism, we were now investing much more of our time and a huge amount of our resources into meeting the needs of the poor, both locally and internationally. And then I noticed an unplanned spin-off. Gradually, I sensed a marked difference to the attitude of the general public towards us. I began to be invited onto community panels and school boards and people we were more comfortable to speak with me on the street or to call into our church centre just to say hi and have a coffee. There was genuine interest in the work we were doing. Non believing strangers donated funds to us for the work we were doing with the poor, and even the local authority offered us grants for some of these initiatives. Where previously people had been credulous, now we had credibility. We'd not stopped worshipping God or declaring the gospel for one moment but the demonstration of our love for the community and for the poor around the world had changed people's ridicule into respect. You probably guessed, actually, that was my story and the testimony of the church I planted in Kettering in the 1980s. But really just to say 25 years on, I still believe in this integral mission partnerships approach as a strategy for local church. In other words, that we should be worshipfully connected with our God, lovingly connected with one another, comfortably connected with our community and compassionately and respectfully connected with our world. So there's something about mission partnerships for us to think about, to chew over, over lunch and in our home groups. So shall we pray? My Father in heaven, I thank you so much that uh, you are a God of relationship. We've sung this morning about uh, the Trinity God. And you demonstrate from your personality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are intrinsically, fundamentally a God of relationship. We thank you for drawing us into relationship with friends and partners around the world in our locality. Thank you for everything you do when you collect people together, that somehow the proclamation becomes a demonstration as the world sees lifestyle lived out in relationship. Help us, I pray, Father, as a church, to consider these issues, not as a system, not just as a strategy, not just as some cold administrative plan on a piece of paper, But Lord, will you stir our hearts? Lord, will you break our hearts with the things that break yours? And help us to find, Lord, connections that are birthed of the Holy Spirit, breathed on by God, and become life uh, and and an integral um, aspect and character of our church. In the name of Jesus. Amen.